electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Yes, it does. And thank you, Scott. I am Brian in once again for Kelly. And here's what's ahead on The Exchange. Another day, another record for stocks. I mean, at least it was. If we end higher, the S&P 500 will post its 70th record closing high of the year. Tech, eh, not so much. And up next, the best places for your money in the new year. President Biden not leaving it just to the Fed to try to fight inflation. The other regulators he is calling on to try to fight soaring prices everywhere and whether that strategy will work. Plus, less bark, more bite for the dogs the Dow next year. Maybe it's 2020 all over again for Apple. And is it fit or flop for Peloton in the new year? Man, the wheels have really come off the bike on that stock. All that and more coming up in today's edition of Rapid Fire. We have got a lot to do, but why don't we begin with our friend Bob Pisani and everything that is happening in the stock market today. Bob. And Brian, uh, let's take a look at the major averages. Uh, the good news is we started really strong, a new high on the S&P 500, 48.07. That was just after the open. But then around noon, we had a classic sell program go through. And I mean a classic one where Everything dropped. All the sectors sort of sold off very quickly. We lost about 15 points uh, in the Dow, uh, in the S&P, as you can see, uh, down a little bit on the S&P right now. Same thing with the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Uh, NASDAQ still hasn't hit a new high yet. Uh, very defensive tone, even at the open. Uh, so what does that mean? Well, it means things like utilities and consumer staples uh, led the market. Uh, cyclical stocks like industrials kind of uh, flattish to slightly up. Tech has been all over the all over the place today. Essentially, though, down right now. Part of the problem is semiconductors. Remember something. These semiconductors had an amazing run in the last couple of weeks and really in the last four or five days, many of them are just off of new highs. But you could see some profit taking today with NVIDIA, Micron, Teradyne, Xilinx, all to the downside. Meantime, if you look at the new high list, remember, we are at a new high on the S&P 500. Again, it's mostly defensive names, your classic Deep uh, defensive names here. Uh, companies like United Healthcare and Procter and Gamble. There are some utilities like Exelon on there. CBS Health set a new high. McDonald's is at a new high. I think you get the whole point here. Market's still up. Tech's holding up, but off of the highs, it's the defensive stocks that are really pushing the market forward. Brian, remember, we're up close to, at the highs today, we were up close to 5% in five days. So the bottom line is the Santa Claus rally. I know it started yesterday, but it's come a little bit early to broad and wall. We'll see if we can end near the highs towards the end of the week. Brian, back to you. Yeah, we would be nice to kind of get that 70th, that nice big, we like nice round numbers in the media, Bob. Thank you very much. All right. So with the market hitting new highs again, at least earlier today, to Bob's point, more investors are asking a very simple, but a very important question. Are stocks overall getting too expensive? Well, your next guest says no. Joining us now is Alan Boomer. He is Chief Investment Officer at Momentum Advisors. Alan, welcome back. All right, you've got some incredible names for us, individual stocks. Before we do that, however, let's talk about the macro market. Make the case for why, even with these gains, we are not overpriced. Great. Thanks for having me, and just happy holidays to everyone out there. 
there's a big thing that I don't know if folks are really paying attention to. Like the market's been on fire, 30% gains in the S&P 500 this year. But we've actually had earnings growth this year in a major way. And in fact, I'd argue that the market has gotten cheaper this year because multiples have not expanded. In fact, multiples have contracted and you've had really, really strong earnings growth. And I think even though, you know, you look at a market that's making new highs, you think about all the bad stuff happening in the world with inflation and and whatnot, you, you might be tempted to say, let's go to cash. But I actually think stocks are a really great buy here. Okay, overall, now let's get a little more, I don't know, I would say microscopic and take a look at Microsoft. You see what I did there, Alan? It's terrible. Uh, It's a dad joke. It's a dad joke. All right, so Microsoft, I mean, this has been one of the great success stories of the last five years under Satya Nadella. Analyst price target still 20 or 30 bucks above where it is now. Make the case for Microsoft. I love Microsoft. You know, Microsoft is one of those businesses that I think is insulated from a lot of what's happening in the world today that's bad. Folks are worrying about, you know, a labor shortage. Microsoft makes about a million dollars from on average on every employee that they that they employ over 180,000 people, almost 180 billion in in terms of uh, annual revenue. So I like that they've got a really low ratio of sales to employees. Clearly, there's not a big labor shortage that's impacting Microsoft. That's number one. Number two, they've got incredible pricing power. They've just announced in December that they're raising prices 20%, and the market has not blinked. In fact, you know they're, they're predicted to double some of their businesses. The majority of, of where Microsoft is generating its revenue, it's business consumers. And you know again, they're not really so concerned about that inflation. So I think Microsoft has, has the ability to raise prices. They've got pricing power. They've got a really low ratio of employees to sales. I think Microsoft has a lot of great things working. Okay, Microsoft, of course, is a name that everybody here knows. The other two stocks that you brought us today may be ones that are a little bit off the headlines. Talk to us about equitable holdings. You owning this? You holding this for the dividend? Or do you think this is a growth story, Alan? Yeah, so I, I like it as a valuation play and also just a thematic play. So Equitable is a life insurance company. Primarily, they're in retirement. They're in variable annuities. They're, they're, but if you think about inflation, right? Inflation is going to mean that if I owe a death benefit in the future, let's say I owe a million dollar death benefit when John Doe passes away in 10 years. If there's a lot of inflation, the value of that death benefit today is actually a lot lower because that dollar in the future is being eroded because of inflation. So that's number one. I think inflation is a good thing for life insurers. Number two, this particular life insurer, I think is just very, very well run. They've done a really great job of positioning their assets, and they've got really good predictable cash flows. The dividend's not bad. It's got a 2% dividend that I think will grow. They've been one of the few companies that's been growing their dividend over time. So I like the insurers generally, and I think Equitable is a really great name to own. Okay, and this, this last one here is a name where you probably don't know the name, Realty Income, but you might live in one of their homes or their apartments. They're big in retail. They're big in commercial. But, man, this is one of these quiet giants. Maybe we should do a series on companies like this. Names you don't think about, but man, this when you dig in, this is a huge company. Absolutely. We love Realty Income. This is one of the few REITs or just companies in general that over the last 25 years, they've raised their dividend every single year. And that income, is, I mean, that dividend is funded by income. 
you know, you look at them and they've got a big exposure to retailers. And I think a lot of folks are really bearish on retailers generally. But if you look at who they've rented to, they really have a lot of really high credit tenants and a lot of defensive industries. And this is a, a stock that you could buy, a REIT that you can buy that pays about a 4% dividend. And that dividend is growing every year. The thing I love about real estate in an environment of, of high inflation is that every one of those leases has inflation built into it. Every year, those leases get more and more expensive, and it's helping you to keep up with, with inflation. Uh, Realty in itself is also a single-A a single credit. So it's almost, I won't say it's like buying a bond, but certainly you're buying a really, really strong dividend that's going to grow over time. Realty income stocks up 13% in three months. Some new names there for us, including Microsoft, Equitable Holdings, and Realty. The big O, Alan Boomer, Momentum Advisors. Have a happy new year, Alan. Thanks for joining us. Take care. You as well. Thank you. All right. And for more investment ideas, be sure to catch our CNBC special, Your Money 2022. That is tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, for all of Wall Street's top picks heading into next year. Literally cannot afford to miss that. All right. So if you're into stocks that pay you cash back to own them, dividends, and by the way, who wouldn't be? The boring old materials names may not be the first place you think of, but maybe they should be because they can be dividend darlings. Let's dive into this group a little bit more. Christina P. is here to name some names. Christina. Yeah, that's right, Brian. I, I want to start with, I guess, some decent news as we look at the sector on a year-to-date basis. It certainly isn't the biggest loser, but it has trailed the broader market, and it's been a choppy year for the sector thanks to, of course, inflation and things like the infrastructure bill. But like you mentioned, we want to take a look at some of the names within the sector that could provide income for investors. So we screened a group of names that have positive year-to-date performance and a dividend yield that's greater than 1.5% because you want to fill those pockets, right? So here's what we found. Beginning with Dow, while the stock hasn't been a huge winner in 2021, up just about 2% this year, it does boast one of the largest dividends in the sector at almost 5%. And then we have a smattering of names in the 2% range, all of which are up double digits in 2021. International Flavors and Fragrances has outperformed the sector and the broader S&P up 35% this year and will end on the sector's best performance this year, Nucor. That stock has gained more than 100% in 2021 and has a dividend just under 2%. Brian, I guess, did, I, did that help, you know, for making money in the future? Yeah, I mean, these are companies, Christina P., that, you know, we talk about infrastructure bills. We talk about roads and bridges and building stuff and actually making things. They're not nearly as sexy as the iPhone or Microsoft or, or Snapchat, but these are companies whose growth is steady. Yeah, and they are paying that money back out to investors. And not only, you mentioned the infrastructure building stuff, but there's also the fertilizer companies, the chemical companies that fall under this category that have also done very well, right? Because fertilizer prices are through the roof. I saw you out in Texas, by the way. CF Industries, Mosaic, and we're going to talk about fertilizer right now. Oh, perfect segue. It is. It's the other BS. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. All right, we are just getting started. Coming up, are antitrust policies the answer to fighting inflation? The White House wants you to think so. But your guest coming up says that's just wrong. Plus, when it comes to batteries, size matters. And up next, why the battery names are booming, maybe on some news from Rivian. And as we head to break, take a look at the Dow heat map. You got Disney leading the way. You just heard John in halftime saying he's buying Disney calls. CRM, Salesforce, one of the laggards. The exchange is back on a Tuesday right after this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... (laughs) 
3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Exchange. We certainly talk a lot about how the Federal Reserve can try to fight inflation, but the Biden administration is trying to flex its muscles to hit rising prices in a different way. Antitrust regulation from the FTC to the Federal Maritime Commission. The administration has been pushing regulators to go after what they consider corporate monopolies that are jacking higher inflation. But is this the right place to really look? Joining us now is Neil Bradley. He is executive VP and chief policy officer at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Neil, welcome back. Uh, is this the right strategy? Are big corporations, you know, a couple companies controlling meat or fertilizer or oil, are they the problem? No, not at all. Thanks for having me back, Brian. You know, the administration wants you to believe that we've had decades and decades of extreme concentration across all the industries that you just mentioned. But over that same period of time, we had low to no inflation at all. But all of a sudden, inflation occurs in 2021, and that's the root cause of it. You know, Larry Summers, who's been sounding the alarm for inflation when the White House should have been listening last spring, got it right when he called it science denial. Yeah, okay, so make the case why it's not. If you've got a couple of companies that are controlling the beef market, the pork market, which, by the way, they are, the fertilizer market, how are they, which, by the way, they're making more money now. We all know that. That's provably correct. How are they not to blame? Well, I think first you have to look back and say, did we have concentration in those same industries before we had these run-up in price increases? And if you believe that the concentration in those industries is so severe that it's allowing the market players to manipulate prices above what they would already be, then why didn't that any of that occur prior to 2021? That's why I, I think Larry Summers means when he calls it science denial. I think the other key point to remember here is we have lots of mechanisms to, to fight over concentration and monopolies. These aren't monopolies. We have lots of industries where we have concentration, but still have extreme competition and more choices and lower prices for consumers, which at the end of the day is what we all want, lower prices for consumers. You know, you, you just heard Christine and I talking about fertilizer and actually in a different life. I used to trade this stuff as a commodities trader. That was a long, long time ago. It's a very different market now. But I do know this. It is a global market that is relying on natural gas prices. China and Europe are buying up all the liquefied natural gas from America they can. That spiked their prices. They've actually shut down fertilizer production there. The reason I bring this up, Neil, is that that's going to spike prices for everybody, including us. And last I'm told, fertilizer is kind of important for wheat and corn and, for food. and that's coffee exactly right, and Brian. even feed stock that you feed to cattle and pork. This is not somebody's problem. This is a global issue. 
It's a global, and look at input prices. This is exactly what you're talking about, Brian. In that particular case, the input price of natural gas uh, is uh, has gone up, which drives up fertilizer prices, which then drives up prices for feedstock, which then ends up at higher prices on the butcher's shelf. The same is true across a lot of under, other industries as well, whether it was the chip shortage for car makers that drove up the prices of used vehicles last year to record levels, or the worker shortage crisis that's causing wages to go up and prices to go up across a whole host of industries. There are root causes of this. The administration is ignoring those root causes, as is Congress. And if instead they focus on competition and they try to use the government powers here to manipulate the market, what we're going to end up with is fewer items on shelves and higher prices. That's a proven fact every time the government tries to intervene in markets this way. Yeah, but they got to do something. I mean, Neil, you're in D.C., you know this, and President Biden is politically savvy. He knows this, that inflation is a killer. Killed Jimmy Carter's second term. I mean, this is a major story. Do you think that anybody, whether, whether it's Republican or Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, Green, Communist, whatever, does any political party have the ability to bring down prices? Well, they have the ability not to add fuel to the fire. So, for example, this Build Back Better bill that's pending in the Senate right now, which Joe Manchin uh, has for at least for now put on hold, it will actually boost consumer demand, raising prices higher by injecting $150 billion in transfer payments and tax rebates into the economy next year. You mentioned natural gas prices. We ought to be expanding exploration. We ought to be doing more things to get U.S. natural gas into the market to help meet that demand. Doing those things will lessen these inflationary pressures that, that we have. So there are good things that we can do, like lowering energy costs, and there are bad things that Washington could do, like that so-called Build Back Better bill. And so making the right policy choices here will, at the margins, help or hurt, depending on what Washington does. Neil Bradley, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, a good discussion on literally, literally a hot topic because inflation is hot. Neil, Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Happy New Year, Brian. All right, thank you. Still ahead, AI in aisle five. We're going to speak with the head of one company using artificial intelligence to streamline the supply chain. I want you to think cameras, cameras everywhere. The exchange is back after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. First, let's get to the overall markets. Then we'll get to a few stocks that are on the move. Now, you're looking at the board here and you're saying, Sully, there's not much going on today. Not true. The Dow was up 225 points earlier. The S&P was up. That means another record high. If we close up even by 0.0001%, that will be a new record, the 70th closing high. So there's a little drama inside of this. Right now, Dow's up 89. S&P and NASDAQ are down just a bit. 
Let's not forget about the small caps. Just because they're small, you still got to focus on them. The Russell 2000 on pace to snap its first four-day win streak since October, although it is still about 8% from its all-time high. A lot of people, by the way, bullish on small caps next year. Speaking of all-time highs, materials, we just talked about them, consumer staples, real estate, all on pace for record closes. Something that we have got to head into and watch in our final two hours of trading on this Tuesday. Also, watch the airlines. United, Southwest, American Airlines, they're all higher right now. They are rebounding from yesterday's move lower. All you got to do is watch any local news channel to see their stories about how many people are at the airports right now. Oh, and by the way, airfares are also up. And Roku, maybe you're going to sit home. You want to watch TV? That's fine. Roku's higher today. It is trying to hold on to a slight monthly gain of about 3% and break Roku's five-month losing streak. Roku still down 52% from its all-time high. All right, let's get back now to Christina Partsdenevelos. She has a CNBC News update. Thank you, Brian. And here is what is happening at this hour. The UK is setting another record for new COVID cases. Officials reporting nearly 130,000 new infections today. And that figure does not include Scotland and Northern Ireland. Just a week ago, the record for a single day was less than 100,000. On the news, getting ready to travel in 2022 and where the demand will be. That's going to be tonight at 7 Eastern. The congressional panel investigating the January 6th riot on Capitol Hill has agreed to shield some documents from the Trump administration. The move is in response to concerns raised by the Biden White House that releasing all Trump documents could compromise national security and executive privilege. And in New York Times Square, people giving a fiery farewell to 2021. It's the 15th annual Good Riddance Day. People are invited to burn, toss, or shred bad memories from this year and start off 22 with a clean slate. Brian, I don't want to make assumptions, but I feel like you may have something to add to the pile. Oh, I got lots of stuff to burn. It's, you know, fire. Just be careful, by the way, because if you're playing with fire, you're going to get burned. Fire Marshal Bill. All right, up next. Will the dogs of the Dow bite back next year? Why the wheels have come off Peloton stock and what to do about it. And regulations flying at them from both sides. So what should you do if you own any of these woe-begotten Chinese Internet stocks? All these questions answered in today's Rapid Fire. That's coming up. Stick around. of the Dow, the world's first $3 trillion company. And what the heck has happened to Peloton? With that lineup, it can only be rapid fire time. So let us dive in with three brave souls ready and willing to tackle it. Tackle it. That's a new word. Tackle it. With our own Bob Pisani, Deirdre Bosa, and Matt Maley, chief market strategist. I will try not to tackle anybody in this segment, but we're remote, so that's not going to happen. All right, first up, we are just days away from 2022, and that means it is time to look back at the dogs of the Dow. Now, this is the decades-old strategy of taking the names, 10 or so, with the highest dividend yields and betting they're going to outperform in the new year. The 2022 dogs, they're looking like, well, Dow of the Dow, IBM, Verizon, Chevron, and Walgreens Boots Alliance, followed by Merck, Amgen, 3M, Coca-Cola, and Intel. The strategy has not paid off very well recently, but did predict a big winner this year. Cisco, it managed to get off the dogs list with a 40% gain. So, Bob Pisani, take all this. Is there another Cisco 
on next year's list? <laughs> well, sure there is, but we don't know what it is, and that's part of the problem. Look, I, I have, I'm not big on mechanical systems, but I, owning high dividend stocks in this environment makes some sense to me. It's largely a value play if you look at it. So you got companies like you know, Chevron on there, uh, Merck, for example. These are value plays, and for good reason. Think of what you're getting on the S&P if you're a dividend person. What, 1.3%? The average yield, I'll bet you on these Dow, uh, dogs of the Dow, is probably 3.5%. That's close to what you're getting for a high-yield fund today. So it makes some sense to me to be interested in getting some uh, buying into yield if you're of that type. This is a sensible strategy if you're actually looking for yield, but don't expect anybody to actually pick what the winner's necessarily going to Well, be. that's why we have Matt Maley. And I feel like, Matt, the dogs of the Dow are like your patriots, right? I mean, they stunk it up last year, and suddenly they've, they've rebounded this year. Are there any stocks that you would compare to your boy Mac Jones and Bill Belichick for next year? Well, after uh, what they did with the Bills uh, this weekend, I don't know if they would compare them with anybody, but uh, uh, they're still making a nice comeback, which is nice. But the the thing is, it's kind of interesting. If you'd asked me a month ago, there were a couple of stocks I'd be looking at, but we've seen some big runs, and a stock like IBM's up fifteen uh, percent in just a month, and then so it's getting overbought. And you know how much I like to look at technicals, but the stock I'm really looking at is because I'm looking for safety. I don't think any of these names, uh, especially the stock I'm going to pick, is Dow Chemical, the old Dow Chemical, Dow Inc. Now is what it's called now because it combined with DuPont. But the uh, uh, the stock is 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 not going to be up forty percent. The chances that are very low. But with the Fed tightening, it's going to be you know some headwinds next year to fight the market. And they're paying a dividend of almost five percent. So they're really paying you to wait. And as Bob said, you know that could be really good in this kind of marketplace. And plus the stock is very inexpensive. Uh, you know less than seven times earnings. So it's more of a safe play, uh, but one that's also going to uh, pay you to wait. And so that's why I'm picking this one uh, because I think 2022 okay. is going to be a tougher year for the market. Okay, there you go. Let's next up. It is Apple. Now Apple is about three dollars a share away from that vaunted three trillion dollar market cap, but. It just announced the closure of 12 of its New York City stores due to the spread of, you guessed it, COVID. Shares, though, up 35% this year. But could these store closure concerns spoil results in 2022? Deirdre Bosa, you were out there in San Francisco. You guys have your own <laughs> problems. What is the hot take on Apple and $3 trillion? <laughs> Well, we all have that level memorized, right, Brian? 182.86. That's when we hit 3.2. We were watching it like an eagle uh, during Tech Check this morning. Uh, but, you know, Apple is one of these companies. We were just talking about companies, um, dogs of the Dow. Apple, yes, issues a dividend. But a lot of these tech companies, right, they're about innovation, investing money back into the business. And that's what Apple has done so well while issuing a dividend and sustaining a gigantic cash pile. So investors, they're really willing to look beyond store closures, things like the chip shortage, which we've been talking about all year, mm. to continue to bet on this company that, even given its size, has proven that it still can innovate and have a popular product globally. I've got this giant screen here, Bob, and I can see your br big brain moving around inside that <laughs> finely coiffed hair. How important is Apple? Well, as it gets bigger, it becomes this, like, 800-pound gorilla of the markets. Right. It's very important. And the problem is you're in the process of evaluation, uh, a reevaluation of valuations in, in big cap tech. And that's the concern that I have. There's nothing wrong with what Apple's doing. It's fabulous. 
but it's trading for about 30 times 2022 numbers. Historically, that's high. You go back to prior to 2019, it was usually about 20 in the low 20s forward. So what happened was Apple became the ultimate work from home story. In 2020, the, the stock doubled in price because everyone thought this was going to be the great winner. And it was. But it drove the valuations up. And this year, by the way, the earnings have been great. I think the earnings are up 75 percent in 2021 for Apple. Think about that. The biggest company in the world, this, their earnings are up 75%. It's amazing. But it's expensive right now. So there's nothing wrong with the company. It's just our investors going to continue to pay relatively on the high side of valuations for the company. I don't have an answer for that. Uh, but uh, it's a tough environment for high multiple stocks to go into in 2022 with the Fed raising rates. All right, well, let's talk about another one, but a very, very different story, and that is topic three, and that is Peloton. Man, it's been a rough year. It started off with a voluntary recall of its treadmills after one of them caused the death of a kid. Then gyms reopened. Well, then they closed, and they reopened, then they closed, and reopened. And then folks ventured out of their houses, and it finished the year with that, and just like that, Mr. Big Controversy. Shares down more than 70% this year after quadrupling last year. So... Matt Maley, can Peloton get back in shape or do we just avoid it? Because it's, it's either going to stop going down or start going up. I... It's, you know, it's one of those things where a lot of people tried to catch the falling knife over the last couple of months and it hasn't worked. I mean, it's just been it's been more than dead money. It continues to go down, as you say. And, you know, it's just at some point you just have to say, hey, I'm not going to try to catch the exact bottom. I don't mind missing the first 10% more, 5 to 10% move in the stock. I'm going to get it after I'm sure it's going to move back up. I think that's going to be very important for this one. I mean, uh, you know, you'll, you'll, it's, it's funny because just three weeks ago, we did have signs of capitulation. The stock was down a lot. It was really uh, oversold on its weekly relative strength index chart, the RSI chart. Volume has picked up significantly in the last three weeks. Again, that's a, that's a sign of a washout in the stock, and yet the stock keeps going down. So what I'm looking for now is that two of the last, or actually the last two weeks, the high, the intraday high of the week, the intraweek high, yeah. was $43. If we can get back above 43 then I'll start feeling more, more comfortable that it's finally made I just, bottom. You know, Deirdre, it's a thing, okay? Right. When, when the pandemic, when the lockdowns hit, there wasn't much that you could do in certain parts of the country. The Peloton, if you were lucky to have one, was one. Now there's a lot of competition, right? You've got yeah. this for treadmill with Nordic track. You've got club row. If you're a rower by any chance, I mean, there's all these, <laughs> see what I did there. I Point do. is there's a lot of competition <laughs> for that dollar, that eyeball and that butt in the chair. You know, Brian, you mentioned Mr. Big. So for those of our audience who may not get that reference, uh, I've been dying to quote my good friend Laura Foreman from The Wall Street Journal. She wrote a piece yesterday that said Peloton stock has been trading lately on the fate of a character who used its bike on a fictional television show. Perhaps enough said there. Uh, you know, some might say that this is an iPad on a bike. The question is, I think this is what you were getting to, Brian. Is there proprietary technology there? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it has a subscription service revenue, which is great, which investors like. But can that sustain past the pandemic? I'm not sure. I, yeah. I still use it. I still love mine. But again, the iPad, not not necessarily the equipment. Yeah. And I mean, once you have you know, it Brian, and you're in that. Go ahead, Bob, quickly. The greatest work from home story ever handed to anybody ever. And it still loses money. I mean, has not the golden moment passed? 
here, we're all moving on at, at this point. You mentioned the competition. You think Apple, Apple's got some great work fitness stuff going on there. Yeah. And you think that's not going to be a very well, serious I, I, issue? As a I mean, Peloton, you mentioned it, Brian. Well, fair enough. But as a Peloton user, once you have it, once you bought the bike, once you pay the 39 a month, you can sit at home, even on a beautiful day, watch Tech Check at 11 a.m. Eastern time while you're on the bike. <laughs> All right. We're going to go back to Deirdre on this one. Finally, China's <laughs> uncertain future on Wall Street. It's been a just absolute terrible name for stocks like JD.com, Pinduo, Duo, 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 Alibaba, and Baidu. Tencent Music, by the way, is down nearly 70%. It's the Peloton of China. The drops came as China hammered companies across all industries, from tutoring to ride-hailing, with strict regulations. Now investors are trying to work out China's new IPO rules proposed last night. What does it mean for Chinese stocks, Deirdre? Uh, you cover the group, you cover DD, you cover other, which got delisted or is getting delisted. Uh, here's my beef. I don't care how great a company may be. If you wake up one day and Xi Jinping decides that company mm-hmm. deserves to not be in business or the CEO goes on vacation yeah. for four months suddenly, why would you own these stocks? That's exactly it. Not only have I covered the group for a long time, but I lived in China for a number of years. And I don't think that even being on the ground, you get a better view of what Beijing and the Communist Party is going to do. So you can be extremely bullish on the Chinese consumer and the growing middle class, but I think you can still have no idea what the leadership in Beijing is going to do next. So, you know, I heard a discussion earlier on CNBC about the right time and the long-term prospect of a company like Didi and Alibaba, but the thing is, is that you never know which billionaire or CEO is on the wrong party of the Communist Party. So good opportunity, yes, but you certainly need a risk appetite. Yeah, uh, Matt, I, I don't know what your clients think. Are they willing to take flyers on these names? I mean, this is gambling at this point because nobody in the world knows what the Chinese government is going to do day to day. Exactly, Brian. And what's happened in, really in the last year is that, you know, the, the boil quiet fried wolf, they've come back several times saying, oh, we're going to eat off of some clamp downs and we're going to do this or that. And then a month later, they come down and hammer, you know, hammer in a, a different uh, uh, sector. I mean, they've gone for you know, four or five different sectors that they've clamped down on. But more recently, you know, I mean, they came flat out said that they're going to, they're still going to be, uh, they're still at the early innings of, of enforcement of these monopolistic uh, uh, tendencies or these monopolistic companies. Uh, if, if they're just in the early innings of that, yeah. uh, we still have a, a lot of uncertainty out there, and it's just not worth seven. Matt Maley having some trouble tickling the word monopoly. Uh, last word to you, Bob. <laughs> Bob Pisani, do we care about these companies? Yes, we do. Uh, listen, the com- country's growing. It's a significant part of the world market capitalization. There's two camps here, Brian. First camp is the value camp. They don't care at all about this political stuff we keep talking about. If the, S- if the China stocks are 14 times forward earnings or below that, they buy because historically they'll make money on it. They don't care about the politics. The other cares about the politics a lot. The global investment community is debating whether Chinese stocks are fundamentally a different asset class than the rest of the world. This was never on the table two years ago. That's what's really hard to figure out at this yep. point. But I can tell you, uh, the, the regulators this year, they, they crossed uh, the mark. And, and now it's an active part of the whole global investment discussion. Well, off, off camera, I'll ask Deirdre Bosa what the Chinese term for not smart would be, because some of those value investors certainly may get burned. Bob, Deirdre, Matt, we'll see you all in the okay. Pelotons. You can send me your, your Peloton names after the show. All right, coming up, <laughs> coming up, forget living on Tulsa time. It's been 
Tesla time once again. Shares are surging, but does this mean the battery stocks are set to keep rising as well? That is next. The exchange back at two. All right, welcome back. Well, EV stocks like Tesla, you might have heard of them, and Rivian seeing massive gains over the last week. But to make an electric car, you need batteries, a lot of them, and big ones. And Rivian this morning announced it will prioritize deliveries next year for customers who order the trucks with the larger battery packs. Could that be good news for the battery makers? Pippa Stevens joining us now with a check on these moves. Hot sector, Pippa. Hey, Brian. Yeah, a really hot sector. And there's been so much hype around EV companies like Tesla, Rivian and Lucid. But we haven't seen the same type of enthusiasm around the battery stocks themselves. But that could be about to change. Goldman said the great battery race is here, while Morgan Stanley said batteries are the new oil with a total addressable market that will top $500 billion by 2040. Two funds that track the space are the Global X Lithium Battery Tech ETF, ticker LIT, and the Amplified Lithium and Battery Technology ETF, ticker BAT. Both are up for the week amid gains in names like Livent Corporation, SQM, and Albemarle, although all three stocks are in the red for the month. For the year, Standard Lithium, Vulcan Energy Resources, and CATL are among the winners, while QuantumScape, LG Chem, and MicroVast Holdings have all registered losses. Vance Brown, a portfolio manager at Williams Jones Wealth Management, said in many ways it's just easier to own an automaker like Rivian rather than digging into the complicated battery supply chain where you have the miners, component makers, cell and pack manufacturers, etc. But he said the lithium miners themselves offer the most upside given just how much will be required to power these EV fleets. And as the market better understands these dynamics, there could be gains on the horizon for these upstream players. Brian, back to you. All right, Pippa Stevens, a lot more to do there. We'll talk to you soon. Pippa, thank you very much. All right, still ahead. Forget giant ships. Could tiny little cameras be the key to fixing America's terrible supply chain problems? We'll talk about that next on The Exchange. All right, welcome back. Well, companies of all kinds are still struggling with global supply chain woes. From ships to shipping, the problem may be getting a little better, but not by too much. So is hiding ships off the coast of Mexico instead of L.A. the answer? Of course it's not. But your next guest may have a solution, at least for the stores. Automation startup Focal Systems uses tiny cameras and AI to monitor shelves and alert store associates when stocks are running low. Walmart has been using Focal Tech's solutions for years. Joining us now is Focal Systems founder and CEO Francois Chaubard. Francois, welcome back. Looking at some of your case studies, trying to understand. You're trying to make sure that stores never again have an out OLOS out of stock experience. How exactly does it work? Uh, well, thank you very much for having me. Very excited to be on the show. Very excited to announce this uh, Series B. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, just as cameras and AI are now able to digitize uh, our roads and drive cars automatically, Focal OS digitizes the entire store and runs stores automatically. Uh, so what does that mean? We're, we're, we deploy these small cameras, as you said. We detect outs, lows, spoiled bananas, you name it. Uh, and then we automatically direct the labor, reorder the product, schedule the labor. Um, you know, anything that you'd have to do to run a, a traditional uh, grocery store or mass merge store. Steve Leisman, our colleague here, has a kind of a kind of a, a joke that he that he shows that he says the, the, the warehouse of the future will have three things in it, a robot, a dog and a man. The robot to do the work 
the dog to make sure the robots don't get stolen and the man to feed the dog. Is that kind <laughs> of where we're going with retail? I don't think so. I think that, uh, you know, grocery stores have stood the test of time. Mass merch has stood the test of time. I think that e-com has a role. I think it's an, it's a, uh, omni-channel, not a complete, we're not going to sit in our beds with our VR headsets for, you know, our entire lives and just have Amazon, you know, feed, you feed us or something like that. I think we're going to go to grocery stores. We're going to do this. Um, you know, uh, but I think it's going to look very different today. I mean, this, how many grocery stores in America is 35,000, maybe half of them are still walking around with clipboards and pen and paper today. And so that needs to change. How much could this help the overall supply chain? It obviously may solve the problem for the store, making sure that they've got the stuff that they need to sell to all of our viewers. Where does it fit mm-hmm. into the bigger piece of the puzzle? I actually think that it's very surprising to me when running this company and deploying now, uh, you know, 40,000 of these cameras all throughout the world. Um, 40%, 50% of the problem is, is the last 20 feet, not even the last mile. The, the, if you go into the back room of a grocery store today or any one of these stores, you're going to see boxes up to the rafters. Okay. The problem is not getting half the problem is not getting the product to uh, the grocery store, to the, to, the, to the Walmart. The problem is getting it out of that back room and out onto the sales floor. They don't know it's back there, one. Or two, they don't know it's out on the sales floor. The cameras do that for them. And so now we actually know what's, what's in the back room. We're scanning the, the back room every hour, and, or we're scanning the sales floor, so then we know it's out of stock every hour. Francois Chobard, Focal Systems, trying to do their part to make sure that that stuff is on the store shelves. Using technology and AI, Francois, thanks for coming on. Happy New Year. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much. All right, up next, big moves in oil over the past month. OPEC staying positive despite COVID concerns earlier, but as cases surge, will they strike a different tone at next week's meeting? We'll talk about that with John Kildup next. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Check out West Texas crude. That's oil. It is back above its 50-day moving average for the first time since Thanksgiving. And don't look now, but crude is quietly on pace for its best year since 2009. That said, it's no surprise the oil boom is benefiting energy names, beaten up ones like Devon, Marathon, and Diamondback. They have all more than doubled since the beginning of the year, and the XLE ETF is on pace for its best year ever. Going back to its inception in 1998, is there enough momentum to carry the rally into 2022? Joining us now is John Kilda, founding partner again Capital and a CBC contributor. John, you know how much I hate to talk oil with you. So it's great to have you on. I mean, listen, we, <laughs> whatever happened to this SPR relief release? I mean, doesn't doesn't seem to matter at all in the market. It it, uh, it it did a little bit of helping, and then it's been ignored. I mean, look, Brian, you know, it's all about Omicron. We got we got oil took it on the chin hard when that news first broke over Thanksgiving about Omicron in South Africa, and then the immediate uh, flight bans to the the South African nations. Thinking here, here we go again. Another round of lockdowns, another lost jet fuel demand period, and uh, and it was a nightmare scenario. But now, as Omicron has proved to be somewhat, you know, something we can potentially live with. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Uh, oil is back on the upswing once again. So yeah, the, the SPR uh, math was a little tricky. I, I I still applaud the move by the administration to do something about the high prices. But yeah, I mean, obviously we're back in a strong demand mode with Omicron mm. potentially behind us or getting behind us, and that's going to help push prices back up. Well, the other the other issue, again, with the SPR release, whatever you think about it politically, it's just simple math. It's actually more of a swap than a sale. So 
you can take the oil out now, but somebody's going to have to put it back in later, which means you're just going to pull forward that demand. Plus, you've got if, if seasonal trends with COVID continue, the spring should be a boom time, the summer as well. Hopefully, that'll be the end of it, John. But my point is demand should spike right as we're thinking about refilling the SPR. That's true. That's true. Of course, you could defer the, the refilling. And I, I would just point out, I mean, you can slice that math on the SPR any number of ways. Uh, but for me, it was it was as if the Saudis came out and said they were putting a million barrels a day more on the market for about uh, 60 days. Uh, and, you know, if they did that, the market would rightfully have a have a connection and, and sell off. So uh, you know, that's that's sort of what we got. So the Omicron SPR release one, two punch, you know, did the damage. But you're right. You know, here we go again. You know, let's see what next year brings in terms of economic activity, uh, OPEC uh, supply designs, uh, not to mention our own uh, U.S. production, which continues to creep back higher and higher. And I don't want to get too much into the OPEC weeds, but there's something that our viewers have to understand about OPEC because they're listen, they're an easy target. Uh, President Biden has been dealing with OPEC since he was a senator in the mid 1970s. There's nothing new for him with OPEC. But under this new production deal that OPEC made a couple of years ago, they have their quotas per country. And if one country can't meet it, then they've got to adjust or change or basically kill the deal to do it, something they have not been willing necessarily to do. OPEC may not be able to add more barrels to the market, correct, John? Because some countries inside of OPEC don't have the ability to do it, which means under their deal, they contractually can't do it. Right. I mean, just this week, we lost uh, some production out of Nigeria, Ecuador, not Ecuador, it's not an OPEC member, but in Libya, uh, which is, uh, you know, adding to sort of the little uh, rally that we're getting here right now. Um, look, at Brian, though, they, they, they paper over and gloss over a lot of the, uh, the hiccups within the organization and the scheme that they put together. If the Saudis really wanted to put more oil on the market, they could for sure. The Russians desperately want to. Um, but yeah, to the extent the Saudis want to keep the cats herded, they're, they're not going to go stepping out on a limb or trying to undercut their partners in this, who have done a pretty good job sticking together. I have to give it to them for once uh, on this whole thing. So, so you're right. But I, I do think that to the extent prices get a little uh, you know, hairy again, above 80 bucks for WTI, for example, the pressure will be back on for them to put more oil on the market. And, and I do believe ultimately they will. All right. Very quickly, I'm told it's almost 2022. What do you foresee happening, John? Are we going to be in that 65 to 85 sort of spot for oil. Do you think there's a chance, you know, maybe even for a cup of coffee, we touch 100 bucks? Yeah, I think we could see there will be a, a, a price fever, let's call it that. Um, I think if we get some cold weather next month, like we are supposed to now, uh, that, that, could, that could do it. That could do it, particularly if we continue with this uh, high demand now for, for jet fuel in particular. So there's a chance for it, but I think the fireworks will come early in terms of the high prices. And then I think we'll have to worry about whether or not the market gets sloppy again as you get deeper into the year and we go back down. But it'll be a fun, uh, wide range yet again for us, I think, Brian, uh, with a lot of, yeah. uh, you know, of these unknowns that we're going to have to deal with. All the unknowns and the known unknowns and the known knowns. John Kilduff, again, Capital. John, happy new year, my friend. Thank you very much. Well, that does it for us here on The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.